you know, today we've, the reference to wars has gone on, the battles that go on, and, and we've had a, t- a season of prayer knowing that the reason we pray is because there are needs. And another way to describe all this is as we go through times of struggle and adversity, there is something that uh, we typically say, and it's an expression that we just say, oh, well, oh, well. I don't know what I can do about it. Oh, well. Um, I'm I'm tired of the battle. Oh, well. And just over and over, different things that we battle, we come up with that same expression when a lot of times we just mutter it in our own breath. We just say it to ourselves. Oh, well. Sometimes when you get so overwhelmed and somebody else is giving you some more bad news, it doesn't even have a negative effect any longer because you're already dealing with so much other piled up, you just find yourself saying again, oh well. And so we relate that to times of experiencing uh, what is known in in a situation where if you're in a desert place, and again, we, we parallel over from the reality of a real desert to expressing it, what we deal with in our soul, a time of dryness, a time of, of heat, exhaustion. Uh, we find ourselves uh, in a season that we call a desert place, and we say it seems like everything that I look at around me is, is burned up, uh, that it's just, there's no life here any longer. Uh, things uh, that once thrived here no longer can live here, and it's just a time of dryness. I'm surrounded with barrenness. And in our own times, we, we look at this pandemic, we we're a, a year into it, uh, the losses, the, the strain, the fears, the restlessness, the times of, okay, I'm, I'm just over, I'm not going to talk about it anymore, and then we have to talk about it some more. And so we find ourselves, uh, if we're not fearful, we find ourselves just saying there's an uncertainty. I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Uh, we talk about vaccines. What's, what difference is it going to make? I, I don't know. Will we ever go back to normal? Has anybody said that in the last couple of days? Sure. And so we find ourselves with a questionable future. And we even now uh, see so much division that we say, you know, I, I don't even know. I think I've got more enemies now than I've got friends. It just seems like that people are polarized and, and, and divided against each other. And so we, we've set this stage to talk about desert places. Well, I want you to turn with me to uh, Genesis, Genesis chapter 16. And we find uh, another genuine desert place. Uh, it's one of those extreme deserts on the globe, and it's known as the Negev, and it's in the southern part of Israel. And we find a story there of this place that, uh, to, for those of you that may have never traveled in that part of the world or read much about it, it parallels the Dead Sea. So that tells you the dryness, uh, the extreme desert that it is. It is a remote place. And we find a woman there by the name of Hagar. If you'll stand with me as we read God's word together. And we'll think we'll find out more about not only this woman, but how it kind of relates to us. And here's a woman who um, who's been going through quite a bit. Matter of fact, uh, just before we read, you gotta know if you don't know much about Hagar, 
Uh, or if you do know about her, you probably have an extreme bias against her. But here's a woman who was born in Egypt, and now she finds herself uh, caught up into a Jewish world. And she uh, is not a wife at this particular time. She's a concubine. And so she's just a servant of this household. And we find the story there where the mistress of the house, being Sarai, uh, can, is barren in her womb and cannot have her own children. So she comes up with her plan that, uh, husband, i tell you what you're going to do. You're going to sleep with this concubine of yours over here. Now, again, remember, Hagar's caught up in this story. She has no choice in the matter. And, of course, we find out that she becomes impregnated by this union. And it isn't long after that in this pregnancy, whether she uh, just was having a bad day because of her pregnancy or whatever happened, she, f- she has quite disdain for the mistress. And these two women go at each other. Nobody knows anything like that, do you? <laughs> I mean, we're talking about a very heated situation. This is quite a story because we find this woman that we, if we know anything about her, we typically wouldn't give her much homage. We wouldn't give her much credit. And yet she is fleeing the, the mistress and she's in this desert place. And I want you to find with me Genesis 16 verse 7. And the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. How many just know she wasn't ready to hear that? (laughs) These are real stories, folks, that speak to us. Verse 10, and the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for the multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael. you got to know that means God hears. Because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everybody's hand against him, and, and he shall dwell over against all of his kinsmen. So she called the the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of the seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Be'er Lahoyai. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abraham called the name of his son whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. Thank you, Lord your word. Let it speak to us today about this remote story of so long ago, but it's not that far removed from where we find ourselves at times. We give you thanks, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you see it, turn to somebody and say, it's just good to see you today. Those of you streaming, it's good that we know you're there, and I hope that you're pleased that you're seeing faces. This, this story that will unfold for us today is a story that, that just speaks volumes. And we find so much more about every player 
in the story, beginning with God himself. The psalmist in Psalms 33 and 13 says that God looks down from heaven and he sees all the children of man. Everybody counts. We have our biases, our prejudices from the stories of antiquity, of history, of things we've experienced ourselves, and yet this same God is always watching the earth and he's always watching over every child. And I know it's a political bomb today, but even the children that are aborted, God knows each one of them. Each one counts. We find in the story that this woman, again, adverse situations, she wasn't uh, uh, signing up for all that she had to deal with, and yet through it we find her humanity. And the Bible actually takes the time that she, as she knows she's pregnant, uh, she looks to Sarai, who's not able to bear children. And in this culture, that meant that Sarai was of no worth to anybody. She looked at her with disdain, and of course, it just set Sarai off. I've selected you for this. I need children, and you're going to be the concubine that, that I've chosen, and yet now you do that to me, and of course, now you can see the fight that was created. The incredible thing here is to see that as this woman is fleeing, she, knows what else, not, she doesn't know what else to do, and she finds herself running into the Negev. She's running to her death. And God speaks to her. Me? Me? Who am I? I'm not a Jew. I'm an Egyptian. What, what good am I? The house that I've been serving, I can't serve anymore. And yet she hears God's voice and he says, go back. I, I need to find another God. I don't want to do this. You ever felt the presence of the Lord and speaking to you, his word speaking to you, telling you to go back to something you didn't want to go back to? Yeah. She finds herself there in that desert place and already speaking to of her destiny that you're not going to die out here because I'm going to multiply your inheritance. I'm going to multiply those that come from your womb. I'm starting with this one. But she couldn't take all that in in that moment. And she finds herself just so distressed. And yet she's realizing that there is a God. And he sees and she names this spring, this well that's provided for her out in the middle of the desert. Be'er Roy. This is now named after this experience that you are the living God who sees me. You ever felt insignificant, especially in times of heated adversity? You feel like your prayers don't get up to the ceiling Sure doesn't get past the ceiling. God, do you even know who I am, what I'm going through? Do you care? And yet even in this deep desert place, a place of dryness, of barrenness, of, of death all around, you're speaking to me and you're telling me that I'm going to live past this. This experience, of course, uh, continues to speak to us because as you tell the story, we don't just capsulate this one moment. We realize the story goes on just like it does for us. In other words, yes, we experience God, and then we continue to move on, don't we? 
How many times have we been in an altar? How many times have we had a time of devotion and the word just come alive and a, a rhema word speaks to us and, and it's speaking to the moment and yet now weeks pass, months pass, years pass. And that's what we're seeing here in the story of a woman who it wasn't just a remote thing to say, I'm going to speak to you one time and forget who you are. We begin there in our story and she found out there's a God who cares who sees, I'm going to name this place, and it's speaking to us about who we are, that yes, we've experienced God, and yet life has to continue and move on. But the story doesn't end here. We understand that a lot happens in the next number of years. It involves Abraham and Sarai, who becomes Sarah, it speaks of Ishmael and of Isaac. There's so many things that will goes on. And do we forget that there's a God who even found us in a desert place? Maybe we do. The story continues because we find here that, that now this place where God would see a woman in a Negev desert is a place that will speak to us again. In Genesis 24, it's the same place, but so many years have passed. And again, without reading all the story, just to, to kind of get you up to date, years pass. Years pass, and Ishmael becomes a, a, a grown boy, and he's 13 years old when finally Sarah is able to conceive and bear the child of promise, Isaac. 13 years difference between these boys. Life continues and moves on, and now we see that, again, there's another heated dispute, and Hagar would run again to the desert with Ishmael, and you know, God found them again and spared them again. But the story doesn't end there because now we realize that Sarah passes away. You see, a lot of years passing. It's speaking to us today. Because I'm, I'm afraid that many times as we read God's word or come and hear a sermon or we're reading a book, we just feel like, okay, uh, this is momentary. But does God keep up with the times and does he keep up with me and is he, is he watching over me? Or we may fall into the trap of thinking God only cares about the most desperate times of our life and then he might show up. But you see, God's eyes are always upon us. Again, another time in Scripture, the prophet speaks to King David, says, The eyes of the Lord are upon all the earth, seeking whom he may show himself strong to. His eyes are always watching us. Right now he's watching us. He's watching over us. His providential care watching over us. But this story continues to unfold because now we find Isaac, who I personally believe and study wasn't a child put on an altar at Moriah. I think he was a full-grown man by the time Amen. he was on that mountain. Amen. I think it paralleled quite a bit to Jesus himself and the age Jesus was on that same mountain. But he's already lived through that and past that. And now Abraham is very old and he looks over to his servant, who's probably Eliezer, and he says, I want you to leave this land that we're dwelling in now, Canaan, and I want you to go back to my people in Haran, and I want you to find a wife for my boy. 
She can't come from the Canaanites. She must come from my own people. We dwell here, but the wife can't be from here. If you go and you find a wife that's suitable, but she refuses, you come back. But I'm telling you now, he won't have a wife among the Canaanites. And so now Eleazar is going up northward to Haran, and he finds this beautiful young lady, Rebecca. An incredible story of who she is. And as someone is giving opportunity, she steps out on her destiny. She doesn't hesitate when she could have. But now where we're caught up in the story is we find that Isaac now, knowing that mom is dead, knowing that dad is soon to be dead, and here he is knowing that his father has blessed the mission for him to find a wife for him and bring him back, an arranged marriage. I think most of us would find ourselves wanting to pray, wouldn't we? Is he going to find one? Is he going to find one suitable? And I hope she's pretty. Oh, come on, people. I know how I'd be praying. Don't get sanctimonious on me. The Bible took time to tell us she was good looking. But here's, here's what we find in Genesis 24. We find that Isaac goes out in the Negev to a place called Be'er Laharoi, the same place. You see, he's no longer just saying, oh, well. He's saying, oh, that well that I've heard about. I don't know that, it, that he had not been there many times. But I can believe, and, and I don't think I do any injustice to Scripture at all. You know my style. I like to live in those stories. I want to, I want to hear humanity come from it. I don't want just, just, just the trivia coming from it. I believe if I was him, I, what I'd be doing out there is, God, I, I, just, I, I need to have an encounter. I need to, I need to hear something from you. Because I've known about you all my life, and I've heard stories about you, but I need to know you. I know that now mom is gone. Her tent is empty. I miss her. And I know how a pivotal a role she played in my life to get me where I am. And I know my dad's about to die. And so he has sent out the servant to find a wife for me and I trust that he's successful in that. I, I want to have a wife. I want to have a partner in life. I, I want it to be good. But I believe it went beyond that. And I don't think I do any injustice all for him to start reminiscing. You ever reminisced in the presence of God? God, I know, I know that you met with my dad. I've heard the stories how you met with him. And I know that even at this place that Hagar... You found her, and you spoke to her, and she found out you could see her, and she named this place the God who sees. My question today is, God, do you see me? Because, God, I remember Moriah. It wasn't all that long ago. And how strange it was 
and the servants that were with us that day. But finally, when it got to the top of the mountain and we erected that altar, that my dad had me lay on that altar. I remember it like yesterday, God. My question is, was there a purpose in it for me or was it just about my dad? Talking to somebody today. I know the stories. I know already that he's a legend in his own time. I know that already he has the title of father of nations. Am I just a part of that number? Or are, do you see me? That's why I've come out here. I don't know if Eliezer's coming back with a wife or not, but I, I'm trusting that he will. As he was leaving there, you'll find in Genesis 24, he could see a caravan of camels. <laughs> you got to know his heart was doing this. And then a young lady stepped out and she had veiled her face and his heart was doing that. Now from the book of Randy, I believe that finally when they met and it says he went into the tent of his mother and she was unveiled I think his heart really did that <laughs> hallelujah she is good looking <laughs> but this, this well it's no longer a well oh that well that you are a God that sees that now I realize you, you, you see even the extreme, the nobodies in life. And, and here I am, I'm related to a somebody, but I realize I also get to be a somebody. You've heard my prayers. You did have purpose for me on Mariah. It wasn't just about my dad. You spared me for a purpose as well. <laughs> but you see, the story doesn't even end there. Because you'll find in Genesis 25 that Abraham dies. And the Bible gave us enough time to say, and Isaac settled in to bear la Haroi. I love that verse. Because you see, now Abraham is gone and it's me, God. And of all the land that was promised to Abraham, his dad, he could have chose the lush meadows of the north. He could have chose the Jordan. He could have chosen Gennesaret or Galilee. But he chose, and I love that word, he settled there. You see, it was still a desert. Still surrounded by people that didn't believe like him. But this is a place where I met you, and it became personal. And I believe the whole message to us today is simply this. There are people that experience God, but there's other people who choose to stay in the presence of God. Hagar experienced God's mercy more than once. How many times in church life have we seen people passing through and receiving benefits of salvation and yet we don't see much fruit or we don't hear from them again or we know that they abandoned the faith but then there are those that say, no, I'm going to choose to dwell here. 
This is the place that I choose because I know God sees me here. This well becomes something more than just a momentary thing. It is a place of abiding. As I close out today, there's another story in the New Testament about another woman at another well. You know that story, don't you? You find it in John 4, and it's, a, it's another place. It's a remote place. It's a place that uh, people look at uh, from other regions with disdain. It's Samaria, and it's a nobody Samaritan woman who God once again identifies and speaks to her. It's Jesus that speaks to her. And he said, what are you doing here? I'm just doing what I always do, just the routine, oh, well. Now, let me tell you about a well that has living water. You'll drink this water and you'll thirst again, but you drink of the living water, you'll never thirst again. Choose to drink from this well. Even in Revelation 21, we find the new Jerusalem and heaven and all that is there ahead for the saints of the ages. But you know what you'll find there? You'll also find that well of living water that we'll still be drinking from. Wow. Would you stand with me today?